Tonight we're going to be reading from the Word of God, Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 6. It is a rich and powerful text and is the text for our new series. We've got a new series starting this week, Sending Capacity. I'm going to get excited, but I've got to pause. I'll get excited in a second. Let me read the Word of God. Be excited about that. Come on. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth." After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for his word. I remember very, very vividly the first time that I got mission. I got the sense of what mission was, although I didn't realize that at the time. It was only much, much later that I realized that. I was uh, about 22, so probably the age of most of you. So it was last year for me. And uh, maybe a few years earlier than that. And I was about 22 and I was at an Easter camp. And uh, I, was, I was praying and worshiping in my seat. I've been a Christian for about two years and the Spirit of God came on me so powerfully, and, and I was just overcome with emotion, and I knew that I had to ring my dad, and because I'd never been quite sure where my dad stood with Jesus. I'd never been quite sure. I knew, I knew you know, he's an, he's an historian, like he's a teacher, actually, but he's passionate about history, and so... I knew that he'd sort of researched a lot about biblical times and, uh, and really dug into that. And so I wasn't sure. And I was overcome with emotion. And I just knew I had to call him. And I was bawling my eyes out. And I rang him and I eventually got through to him. Now, my dad, as it happened, was in elective surgery. He was, he was uh, having a knee reconstruction. So he was in hospital. I knew that. So I rang him at, at hospital. What I didn't know is exactly how much morphine he was on. He was on a lot of morphine, like a lot, lot, lot. Like just here's the button, you just go until you feel good level morphine. So he, I rang him, I'm overcome with the Holy Spirit, I'm bawling my eyes out. He's overcome with morphine, an entirely different kind of thing. And he's just totally drugged out, like what is happening? He might have thought it was the actual Holy Spirit through the phone. It, it, he was that confused. Um, but through the confusion, there was one very, very clear sense is that God was calling me to live my life in an entirely different way. So I'd been a Christian for two years. I really want you to catch this. I'd been a Christian for two years at this point, and it was only at this point where I really sensed God saying, this is how you need to live. This is, if I've done this for you, what are you going to do in response? What does it look like to give up your life for Jesus? So, We are in this new series, as I mentioned, called Sending Capacity. I'm very excited about it. And Sending Capacity is predominantly about mission. 
mission. And at most of the people sitting here, you're all good millennials and Gen Zs, which means you are you're justice oriented and you're passionate and you're driven by meaning and purpose. And you're saying, what am I going to do? I want to get out and do something. And your Protestant forefathers would be very proud of you. If you've ever heard of the term, the Protestant work ethic, that basically came from excited Christians going, we have to do things, things. It's like, okay, relax, everybody. You can take off your special armband that you bought. Okay. I know it's meaningful, but still. But what do I mean by mission? What do I mean by mission? Because mission is a classic church word, right? It's one of the things that we throw out, and it can mean just about anything. So back in the day when we talked about missions, predominantly people thought you'd be going overseas. Is that what anyone thinks? First up, when you hear the word mission, you think about going overseas? Yeah, a few people. Or you might think, I hear that hand. Thank you, Pastor Brant. The... um, the other way you might think about it is sort of just like going somewhere regional. Or for example, maybe you're going to an, an indigenous uh, property out in the outback and, and you're going on an outreach, right? That might be another way you interpret missions. And mission does mean those things. It does mean short-term trips. It does mean moving on to another country and becoming a missionary. But it's actually much, much broader than that. The mission of God is everything. That is everything. Our purpose in life is to worship God and live out his mission here on earth. So it's a little bit bigger than going to another country. Otherwise, we could just contiki our way through life, right? It's a little bit more than that. Is it evangelism? Yes, but it's more than that. When I'm talking about mission here at Encounter, I'm talking about the broadest scope to the idea that we are making people aware that Jesus is the loving king over all creation And that that is good news for them. We do this through sharing the message of the good news, through speaking it. We do it through living out the good news. And we do it through loving action as well. And so one of our key sayings that encounter is that mission is our vocation. Mission is our vocation. And I know for for our first sort of eight to ten people who were on board the team as we planted this church, you've probably heard that so many times. It's just burned into your brain. But mission is our vocation. What do I mean by that? Well, everybody's got a different vocation. Before she was a pastor, Jenny was an editor. That was her vocation. Matt's an engineer. Ash is a koala handler. What is your technical vocational term? Marquis assistant? No, Viscount's assistant. I'm going with Viscount's assistant. That's Ashley's vocation now. She's a Viscount's assistant with a specialty in koala maintenance. Everybody has a different vocation. But the vocation that God has for all of us is to live on mission permanently, which means everywhere you are, you are a missionary for God. It's not somewhere you go to. It's something you are. And so when we are talking about mission and when we're talking about how to live out God's mission for our lives, we're actually asking ourselves every moment of every day, am I becoming more like Jesus and am I showing that to other people? Amen? All right. So for this series, I kind of want to suggest this to you as our key catchphrase, that your whole life is the most powerful tool for mission you have. Your whole life. It's not going anywhere. It's not thinking something. It's not behaving in a certain way. It's actually your entire life, which isn't intimidating at all. Sending capacity comes from a quote by Rick Warren. It says this, A church's health is measured by its sending capacity, not its seating capacity. Sending capacity, not a seating capacity. Now, we want Encounter to grow because when the body of Christ gathers together on a Sunday 
and they plant themselves in one place and grow together in love and good works and they pray for each other and they use their gifts. Man, if you've ever been in a community like that, like, like Encounter is already beginning to be, you've seen the way it changes lives. I am so impacted when I hear the stories of how Encounter is changing people's lives. And I know the temptation for us, I know as church planners, for Jen and I is to go, oh, I don't know, is, is, are we doing the right thing? You know, is Encounter moving in people's lives? And then almost without exception, out of nowhere, somebody will send us a text or an email going, oh, I just want you to know this has happened to me or this is what I'm like. Three months ago, I was like this, you know, and we're hearing these stories of life change and renewal. That's what it means to be a Christian, by the way. Constant renewal constant growth. But why then sending capacity, not seeding capacity? Well, because Sunday is good, but a church is not a holy huddle. Coming to church on a Sunday should be a little bit closer to a petrol station than it should be to a convent, right? Like you don't want to lock the door. I mean, there's a whole lot of reasons for that, but you don't want to lock the doors of a church. You want to throw them wide open and then go out of them, okay? You come in them to get refueled, to gather together as a body, to be energized, to be inspired, to be reminded that Christ is on the throne and we don't need to worry about that because God has got this planned out ahead of us and he's calling us home, but we come here and then we go out because there is a world that desperately needs the message of Jesus. And one of the reasons I am so passionate about mission and so fired up about this message in this series is because I worry that the same things that run through my head sometimes run through yours. And that is that sometimes I read the news, which is maybe my first mistake, and I just think, man, is there even any point? Is there even any point in sharing the good news of Jesus with a world that is much more interested in firing back on Twitter? Don't at me, bro. Is there any point in sharing the good news of Jesus in a world where we are getting more and more bipolar so that we won't even talk to each other on different sides of the political spectrum and the ideological spectrum? Is there any point in sharing the good news of Jesus when people seem more interested in throwing stones than grace? And of course, the answer is yes. The more you say that out loud, the more you realize this message matters. And that the mission that God has called us to is not one of a comfortable consumeristic life where we build homes with beautiful fences to make us feel good, but is one where we are sent out on constant mission to be among God's people, to remind them that not only does God rule and reign, not only does he love you so much that he sent Jesus to die from you, not only for you, not only does he, he love you so much that he sent his power in the Holy Spirit so that Jesus was conquering the grave and that the Holy Spirit is now in us, but that that is still there today and that we've got a mission to get on with. There is a powerful, powerful message. There is a desperate message of salvation for all that needs to be heard. We need to be reminded that there's no greater message. No greater message than salvation. So let me talk really quickly, broadly. Actually, most of this is going to be broad, and then I'm going to drill down really fast, okay? So keep up. I I just want to talk about money briefly, which is always fun. Um, 10% of all our budget at Encounter, I love talking about this. We do this in Growth Track. 10% of our budget is always for missional activities, missional endeavors, right? So we will always 
give a minimum of 10% of our budget. This is the way that Encounter ties out to the wider world. And we encourage everyone who is a regular member of Encounter to consider tithing to Encounter 10% of your income. Now, that's not a law. That's not a mandate. I'm not going to be checking up on you. But I will say this. Generally speaking, if you're feeling a bit like antsy about that idea, check what's controlling your life. Check what's controlling your life. Because there is an incredible freedom when you allow God to say, you allow God to remind you that all the money is his. The ability to earn income is his. The fact that you live in a country where you can receive an income, where you can maybe be subsidized by the government, when you can be paid to study, is his. And God says, oh, you can have 90% of that. You can have 90% of it. Okay? I know it gets real quiet when you talk about money. But we're going to give 10% of our budget, and that's a minimum, by the way. So if we have a surplus of our annual budget, we are going to give extra to mission. That's where that's going to go, okay? That's part of our ongoing commitment to be generous and to build the kingdom of God. So this series is about helping you to live sent. Live sent. Let's switch gears for a second. I've got two degrees. I've got one in ministry and one in marketing. Uh, The ministry one is far more helpful, but I am interested in marketing. I am interested in marketing, even though that was a colossal waste of hex debt for me. And one of the, if you've ever done any study in marketing or in commerce before, you have probably heard of a guy called Marshall McLuhan, who in 1964 coined a powerful phrase, the medium is the message. The medium is the message. What does this mean? Well, simply put, it means this. The way we send and receive information is at least as important as the information itself. Okay? So you listening to me face-to-face right now is, equ- is equally as important as what I am saying to you. Because when you listen to somebody face-to-face and they move around and they change their voice and you're right in front of you and, and you know, you feel those social cues that you should be looking at me, there's something, you start to pick up more information than you would if you're hearing it on a podcast, going and doing something on in the back of your mind. Do you know what I mean? So that's part of that. But let's take it another step. Um, the way you do advertising, right? There's, you really notice it when an advertising company Market something in a way that is incongruent with like the product. So I there's an ad campaign out right now. I don't know if you've seen the billboards around Choose Maths. Has, has, has anybody seen this? Well, that's probably a bit sad because they're everywhere. And so if you haven't seen it, it's not doing its job. But it's kind of weird. Like it's kind of like, hey, maths is really cool. Why not give it a go? It's like that's not how to market maths. Okay? That's not the correct medium for maths. The correct medium for maths is something like maths is the foundation of every important discovery the world has ever known. Something like that. You'd go down that route. You don't go, maths is cool. How about it? Let's put our most attractive young person who's pretending to study maths today on this billboard. Like that's, it's not going to work. Or a classic example of the medium is the message. There's, there's been a few ad campaigns in recent years for car companies, particularly family cars, where they'll put gangster rap on in the background. You know, there was that series for a while where there were actual rappers in them, like in the passenger seat rapping along with their song. I think there was a salt and pepper one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were doing What a Man or whatever. And uh, what a man, what a man, what a man. And the mum's sort of going for and pretending like, you know, Spinderella's cutting up one time in the back. And, um, and the kids are just looking at them like you're an idiot. And the whole, the whole medium is perfect. It's saying, like, tongue-in-cheek, you know that you're past this stage of your life, but you can still have fun in this car, even though it's a family car. It's a family car, but it's still fun. It's cool enough for you at this stage of life. And there's a self-awareness. There's a lot of stuff going on. So the importance of the medium is really, really important, as much as the message. Why am I saying this? 
because you are the medium for the message of Christ. Your entire life is the medium for the message of Christ, which means that your life needs to reflect the message of Jesus, no pressure. So let's jump into Acts 1.8. Why Acts 1.8? Well, Acts 1.8 can help us get a handle on the many, many different ways Jesus sends us on mission. Because like I referenced before, our tendency is to get caught up in one particular aspect of mission or another. Okay, so we might think of overseas mission or something like that. But when we read Acts 1.8, and this is why Scripture is so incredible, you, you can do a 10-week series on this one verse. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Okay, that's its own series. And you will be my witnesses, another series on what it means to be a witness, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's break those four down. The ends of the earth are pretty self-explanatory, right? You go from here to another country. Get it? Ends of the earth. Good. So we're going to be doing a week on that in a few weeks' time. And we're getting Tim Reed, our friend from Open Doors Australia, to come in and share what it means to uh, represent and to support and to help the persecuted church. And that is going to be unreal. Tim is a great guy and a friend of mine, Jens, and you're going to love having him here. And then Samaria. Well, next week I'm going to talk about what it means to be a missionary to Samaria. Samaria is the region. Can we just get that map up, um, Lise? Is that all right? Flick, flick through these. Yeah, beautiful. So up here you can see a map of first century Palestine. This is the sort of thing that Jesus would have had in his mind as he's referencing this. And if we click one more time, you can see Jerusalem there is in the center of Judea. Next to it is Samaria. And the ends of the earth, of course, are everywhere. Samaria is the neighbor's to Judea, the Samaritan people, for our context, are those that make us a bit uncomfortable. They're those that are our near neighbors, but we try and avoid wherever possible. If you've ever had that encounter, and don't pretend you haven't, when you've walked past a homeless person and you've just moved slightly further away, or you've averted your eyes, or something like that, that's what it means to have mission to the Samaritans to Samaria. Judea, well, Judea is like our own people. That's like our hood, our neighborhood. They're called to be missionaries to our own region and nation. We're thinking of church planning. We're thinking of Australian aid. We're thinking of local activities. And Brant's going to bring a great word on that in a few weeks' time that we're really looking forward to. And today we're talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem's our own patch. It's where we live. It's where we work. It's where we play. And so if you think of it as global mission, cross-cultural mission, national mission, local mission. These different spheres of mission. There's a lot. Another way to look at it is maybe like concentric circles, okay? So if you think of them as getting bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Let's get back and talk about Jerusalem for a moment. The heart of the call that Jesus is putting on us more than any other is to be a missionary to Jerusalem. I'll explain why in a sec. Jerusalem, I'm interpreting it in in a couple of different ways. I'm interpreting it as a way for encounter, and I'm interpreting it as a way for you. For encounter, what it means to serve Jerusalem is to serve prospect. There was a very strong call for, for us as a church to be planted in prospect, and most of us in this building don't come from prospect. Very few of us live in prospect. And I would I would encourage and challenge you, pray about living in prospect. Pray about that. I know it's dear. You might have to look at Blair Athol or Kilburn or Enfield, but you never know what comes up on the rental market because it's only by the grace of God that we live in prospect. So I'm just saying, consider renting instead of buying. Just saying. 
But maybe you aren't able to live here in Prospect. And so we're going to work out how we serve it in other ways. And so I just want to reveal one of the ways that we are going to be serving Prospect regularly. And that is that we're going to partner with the school's ministry group to be supporting local chaplaincy and local support in public schools here in the Prospect area. So we're already in conversations with two different schools. I won't say who they are yet just because we haven't nailed down all the details about how we can support them in making their school a better place. One of them is a high school, one of them is a primary school. Both of them need the power and presence of Jesus through people like you and me. And it's going to be sensational. And we're going to support them in prayer and we'll see what we can do about finance. We don't know about that at this stage. But certainly in prayer and in service, we are going to serve Prospect uh, by serving these schools. We're also... Uh, looking at the Spring Fair. You probably have heard of this. Once a year, Prospect has a Spring Fair and it's a great way of representing Christ by selling great coffee and putting on free stuff for kids because parents love free stuff. Like, like, give me an amen for free stuff anytime. And if you can give your kids free stuff and then hand them a coffee at a good price right next to it, like that's unbelievable. You are just making dreams come true. So if you can be involved in the Spring Fair at all, please come and talk to Tex. That would be really, really important, and it's a way we're reaching Prospect. Okay, This is part of the way we're on mission for Prospect, and we're always looking for new ways to be on mission to Prospect. But we can't all live in Prospect. Probably not. So how else do we do it? How else do we live and work and play in Jerusalem? In our Jerusalem, we'll encounter as a church with a city vision and a local connection. A city vision and a local connection. Our prayer is not just that prospect becomes transformed to be a community that's more like Jesus. Our prayer is that the city of Adelaide is transformed to be more like Jesus. Our prayer is that as we go out and through all the countryside, we see towns that become more like Jesus through revival, through renewal, through the Holy Spirit, through the presence of believers serving and loving all throughout the state, down definitely down to the southeast of Naracorp, because for some reason Encounter and Naracorp have this thing going. But we're gonna, we are going to see revival sweep through this state if we can see each and every one of us live our lives out on mission for Jesus. That is a promise. That is a promise. But what is your own Jerusalem? Your own Jerusalem is where you live, where you work, where you play, okay? Where you live, where you work, where you play. What do I mean by that? Well, you all come to church here in Prospect. That's part of your play, part of your leisure time. This is, this is where you play. Maybe afterwards you go out and have a meal and you support the economy and you're chatting to restaurant owners and waitresses and baristas and whatever. That's part of the way you're living out your life on mission. But more than that, you're all in sports clubs, social clubs, mums groups, uni groups, you're in universities, you're in colleges, you're in placements, you're in workplaces, you're in schools, you are all in your homes. So you are living a life on mission for Jesus wherever you go. It's your vocation. So the challenge for us is how are you representing Jesus with your words and actions in your workplace, on the footy field, at your uni, at your high school, How are you representing Jesus when you're playing Fortnite with your gaming buddies? I'm serious. How are you representing Jesus in that time? Because hear me loud and clear. The call to serve Jesus in Jerusalem is not a call to go somewhere different. 
It's a call to live an integrated life right where you are now, everywhere you already are. We are all doing something, but the call is to do something for Jesus, to be intentional about that. So let's go one step further, okay? Because Jesus is challenging you to work and to play for him, but most of us, if we're looking to follow Jesus one way or another, we've already thought about this. We've already thought to some degree like, okay, I'm at work. What does it mean to be a Christian here? Now, maybe a lot of the time we're not thinking that actively, but at some point or another, we've probably thought that. Same thing when we're out playing, in, you know, when we're in groups of other people, we're in, you know, where we're at, uh, when I play basketball and, and something happens that I don't like, I need to think very loud and clear, what does it mean to represent Jesus in this place? to the referee and the opposition at this period of time. You know, like this is like, honestly, the amount of pastors I've seen, it doesn't matter. I won't name names, but I could. All right, so we, we think about that already, but let's think about home. Because home is way more challenging. I actually think that's the hardest one of all. Why is home the hardest of all? Because that is where we relax. You're representing Jesus when you're at your most authentic. You're not pretending to be anything else at home. We can go out and at church for 90 minutes, we can be super happy. We're like, hey, how are you, man? How's it going? What's going on? We can pretend to be happy. I don't actually think we do that in Encounter. I think we've got a great culture. But we can't. You can't do that at home. At some point, you just get tired. You snap at your parents. You kick your little brother. At least it happens in our household. Something happens and you get up tight and you are not reflecting the love of God and you know it. And so the most challenging question in our lives is how do we reflect the mission of God with our parents, with our kids, with our housemate, with our spouse when we can't get away from them? Because the people we love are often the people most in our face, which means they're the people who probably annoy us the most too. Have you ever noticed that? The flip side of the person you love is sometimes they're the person that most annoys you. I mean, not me, obviously, honey. But I just imagine other people might feel that way. But not me. Others, just not me. But those we love the most are those who annoy us the most. Why are they the ones who annoy us the most? Because they're the ones who know us the most. Mostly they're annoying us because they're pointing at us and revealing truths about us that we already know but we don't want people to say. And we can get away with that in our work and in our life. And if we're not careful, we'll get away with it here at Encounter. Don't let that happen. Hold each other accountable in love, especially if you're in a life group. But in a home, you can't get away with that. So somehow in our own homes, when we're at our most tired and our most grumpy, we must be fully real and authentic, fully following Jesus the way he's calling us to, and fully sharing the message of salvation and new life with those in our homes. And I bet for most of us, there's a gap between who you are and who Christ is calling you to be. And I bet we see that gap most at home. And the thing about following Jesus, it's kind of really simple and it's kind of really difficult, is that we're called to close that gap by following him more authentically. And when that gap is being closed, it's called integrity. When that gap is being widened, it's called hypocrisy. Which will we choose? Uh, If the band want to get back up, that'd be great. There is one final circle of influence that God is calling us to have. We are are called as, as people who are part of Encounter Church to serve and love prospect. 
more than that, we're called to be on mission to our workplaces, to our universities, to our high schools, to all the areas where we play and hang out. And more than that, we're called to be missionaries to our own homes. But more than that, more important than any of those, is we are actually called first to be missionaries to ourselves. The primary call of God for your life and for mine is this. How's your heart? How's your heart? Where are you with Jesus today? I've got to tell you, church, when I was writing this, I felt so convicted. Because I just, I have not spent enough time with the Lord this week. I haven't. I just, want to, I just want to own it. I haven't spent enough time in prayer. I haven't spent enough time scripture reading. And I don't mean that way we all do when somebody asks you, oh, how's the Bible reading? Well, it could be better. Everybody says that. Like, I mean, really, it hasn't been good enough. And I just want to confess that because encounter is a place where we are real and honest with one another. So I confess as your pastor to you, I've let you down in the way I have pursued God in Scripture and prayer this week. And I say it that way, that I've let you down, because what you need from me and from Jenny more than anything else is a healthy spiritual leader. You don't need us to be good speakers. You don't need us to have extra skills and, you know, I don't know, have anointed apostolic prayer. You don't need us to make you feel good about yourselves. What you need from us is for us to be healthy leaders in a healthy relationship with God. Because when we have that, the rest flows naturally. There's a passage that I love that I think is really important for Encounter that I just want to share. Um, and it's from Ezekiel. So Ezekiel, we don't have time to go through it, but it's pretty interesting. Ezekiel is a prophet. In chapter 36, he says this, verse 24, he's he's talking to Israel, the nation of Israel, and he's speaking, um, they're, they're in exile, so they're in Babylon or Assyria at this time, and Ezekiel is prophesying about the future. This is what he says. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and will bring you into your own land. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. Ezekiel paints this picture of new life in God. I think this is critical for Encounter Church. This is a picture of new life in God through a sprinkling of water, a new heart, the gift of the Spirit, and living in God's land. And in the New Testament, Jesus leads us on a journey of baptism in water, where we die to ourselves and are raised again new in Christ. He leads us to a journey where we receive Him as Lord. We receive the salvation that only Jesus brings that we actually receive the gift of eternal life through what Christ has done, through repenting of our sin and accepting the forgiveness of God. 
and we become these new creations and we have the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and now we live in the kingdom of God. See, Ezekiel began to paint a picture that Jesus would fulfill. Jesus is already doing it in all your lives. And I see the fruit of it all the time in this beautiful community. I see the fruit of it all the time. And I know that beyond anything else, God just wants to do a work in your heart tonight. He's not calling me to be eloquent or clever or to say anything profound. He's wanting to do a work in your heart. And so I'm actually just going to stop and just pray. Uh, Spirit of God, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. God, would you convict us in our brokenness? Would you look at that gap, that gap of hypocrisy in our lives? And would you help us to close it? And Lord, would you help us to close it, not by giving up, but by reaching up? God, I love that in Ezekiel, you tell us that no more will we have to follow your laws. But because of the the love you place in our heart, the love of God that reaches out from heaven to earth, we long to follow everything that you ask us to follow. It is love that transforms, love that changes, love that saves. It is love that makes a way in our life. And there are people here tonight, you may have heard this message before, you may have never heard it, But there is a gift of salvation for you that Jesus has. Jesus, the Son of God, who willingly was led to his death on a cross. The most brutal, horrific death imaginable. Not because he wanted to die. No, he did not want to die. We know he didn't. But we know he wanted you to live more. He wanted you to live more than he wanted himself to die. Then he wanted himself to retain his life. So he willingly went to the cross. He willingly was crucified and died for us. The Roman soldiers hammering nails through his wrists. And they buried him. They put him in a tomb. And three days later, they found this enormous stone rolled away because Jesus had risen from the grave and conquered the death. Death could not hold down Jesus And that's a powerful message. And the message that He has come to save you is powerful. But even more powerful than this is that it was all done for love. It was all done for love. It was all done for joy, for the joy set before Him. God reached out and saw you and sent His Son to die for you. Yes, you personally. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray in all our brokenness in all our uncleanness and all our unrighteousness. And we just say something really countercultural, and that is, we're not good enough. We don't deserve your grace. We are not worthy. Yet from your great love, we have that grace. From your great love, we have that worth. From your great love, we have that life, that life everlasting. 
Holy Spirit, come. Come, fill us up.